Welcome to Rap Stories, a show where I get the background on some of my favorite albums of all time by the artists who made them. I'm your host, David Dennis Jr., and today I'm joined by my brother's little brother to discuss their album, The Listening. Back in 2004, I was an 18-year-old Mississippi kid when I first heard the track For You by Little Brother. Let me rewind a little bit before we get there. I grew up in the South that's more associated with trunk rattling, slower flows, and heavy bass lines like Master P and Cash Money. But I was also always listening to more lyrical acts like Ghostface Killer, Most Def, Dungeon Family, Scarface, and so much more. Things changed when I was about 16. There was this old strip club in Jackson that had been converted to a teenage club called the Black Orchid that I go to every Saturday night. So I became more concerned with trying to get girls to go into the clubs. I started listening to music I could really turn up to, like David Banner's Like a Pimp and Bone Crusher's Never Scared and Nelly. It was a whole lot of Nelly. Eventually, around the time I started looking at colleges, I felt I wanted to get back to the lyricism that I loved before. Mind you, this was before streaming, and the only way to get put on the music you hadn't heard before was to get a mix CD from an old head you knew, which is exactly what I did. My old head ended up giving me this CD on my 18th birthday. I rode around the city listening to the CD full of songs from Gravediggers, Jeru the Damager, and Pete Rock. But it was the third song that really caught my attention. Yeah, one, two, y'all. You about to set it like this on a little brother. Coming through my speakers were two incredible MCs I'd never heard of trading similes and metaphors over this dope soul sample and boom back. It was Little Brother. There was Fonte, the slick wordsmith, and rapper Big Cool with his charismatic flow and booming voice. Immediately, I figured they were from New York because that's where just about everyone else in the mix CD was from. I was shocked to learn that not only were they not from New York, they were from North Carolina, the state that had been mostly known for producing Petey Pablo, telling everyone to twist their shirts around their heads like helicopters. And the third track on the CD was called For You, off Little Brother's debut album, The Listening, which had dropped a year earlier in 2003. I immediately had to get my hands on this album. Once I did, I held the project so close to my chest, not just for its dedication to showcasing two hungry-ass MCs, but the commentary about groupies, performative blackness, and vapid radio hits was like a book of essays on wax. An album that was a perfect blend of the lyricism often associated with the East Coast but maintaining a very Southern aesthetic. An album that quoted Trick Daddy as it was sampling Tribe Called Quest. It was an album that combined my two rap worlds. The listening was the perfect soundtrack to where I was at the time, looking for that thoughtful art while still feeling undeniably Southern. Because let's not get it twisted. The listening is a Southern ass rap classic. And here with me to discuss the 20 year anniversary of this legendary album, are two brothers whose careers I follow my entire adult life. Two men who have dropped some of the most thought-provoking, relatable, therapeutic projects over the past two decades. Two men I've grown to know and love. 
Fontaine rapper Big Pooh, little brother. Gentlemen, welcome to Rap Stories. Wow. Man, like I got inducted into some shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, damn, I, shit. I would have I would have put on my best outfit from KG if I'd have known you was gonna say all that. Come on, man. Could have put the cummerbund on or something. It's all good. You know what I'm saying? I, I got linen in the closet, baby. I got linen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it ain't almost 20, bro. We on 20. This is it's 20. We right, it's a, right at 20. Yeah, right man. at 20, man. Right at 20. Yeah, I hope that ain't make you feel too old or nothing, but you know. No, uh, no, nah, nah, not at all. I mean, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm just surprised. Like, you, you know, I don't think, speaking for myself, I just don't think that, you know, when you're making something at 21, 22 years old, that you think that there will even be a place for it in 20 years and that people will even care. Think about how much stuff that you loved at 13 that, like, you wouldn't be caught dead listening to now. You know what I'm saying? So just the fact that it stood the test of time is really just amazing and um, humbling. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I was just doing stuff. I didn't even, I had no concept of <laughs> what it was to become 20 minutes from the time we did it, let alone 20 years later. So it's it's an overwhelming feeling. It's surreal in a way to still be talking about something that, you know, I did when I was 21. Fellas, when was the last time you listened to this album? Oh my God. What about you, Pooh? I, I, uh, yeah. I actually listened to it uh, a few months ago. Um, I was cleaning the house. I was doing something and the song randomly popped up. And anytime a song randomly pops up from an album, I go back and listen to the whole album and the listening happened to be that album. And, you know, it was cringeworthy for me. Um, (laughs) Very much so. (laughs) But (laughs) but but I definitely went went on that trip down memory lane. So, I, yeah, it was a few months ago, sometime in the middle of the summer. Yeah, I think it might have been around the same time for me, although the context was different. We were working on stuff for the documentary and I had all the multi-tracks for the listening. And I was just going through just listening, you know, solo and stuff out, like listening to our vocals. I mean, you can hear people laughing in the background. You know, one of the girls that's talking on it, a good friend of ours, Aaliyah Brown, like, she passed a couple of years back. So to be able to hear her, it was like a time capsule, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, cringeworthy, very much like Pooh said, but um, it was still some magic in there. It had been a while since I listened to it before, you know, getting ready for the show. And I sort of always remembered the listening as like the serious Little Brother album. I thought of it as like super serious and like Get Back was like the more fun album. Wow. But like when I went back, and I was like, this is like a joyful. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is a joyful album. Yeah, that's what I thought. I just remember laughing more on Get Back than I did on the listening. On the listening, I got you. Okay. But when I went back, there's a whole bunch more joy in this album that I had originally yeah. remembered for some reason. It's actually reverse. Right, right, <laughs> like, right. Get Back with the more serious album yeah, yeah, for yeah. us. And the listening, you know, we were... um you know, creating music, obviously, but we were experimenting, like Fonte referenced earlier, um, in the multi-tracks. It's, it was always six, seven people at least in the room when we were recording. So you can hear laughing, giggling in the background, you know, and, you know, I remember those times where those sessions uh, specifically, and it was just us experimenting, whereas on Get Back, it was it was all raps, no caps, baby. We wouldn't <laughs> we wouldn't play in a rap. Yeah, we had a point to prove on that shit. <laughs> I mean, we had a point to prove on all of them, but get back definitely uh, was far more serious. But uh, but yeah, it was really um. I, I think when I think back on making the listening, I just think about just the joy of 
just making a record. Uh, and just, you know, at that time, you know, I was working, I was working at Blue Cross Blue Shield. <laughs> and um, that was like my first real job, like out of college, you know what I'm saying? And um, yeah, man, I just remember like being at work all day and just waiting till like five o'clock just so I could get off and go to Raleigh and go to my man Cesar Comanche, go to his crib and just work on music. And that was really all I wanted to do. So like the listening for that part of my life, it really was just kind of like the, um, I don't say a guiding light, but it was definitely just the inspiration of like, it, it gave me the strength to get through my day because I knew at the end of this horrible fucking work day that I was going to get to make something dope with my friends. And for me, the listening was like hazing. <laughs> I was still in school. I was actually living in, the, still on the dorm on campus. I had a couple friends that were pledging during that time when we were making the listening. And we would be both coming into the dorms at the same time. <laughs> you know, different circumstances, but at the same time, and uh, still hazing, still hazing. Yeah, um, they weren't paddling over there in the studio, was it? Was no paddling nah, at the studio. Nah, you know what I'm no paddling. No paddling. Five D. Nah. Nah. No paddling. But uh, just a lot of jokes, a lot of jokes, a lot of uh, not a lot of sleep, as I recall. No. Yeah, just guys in their twenties, just hanging out and just making shit. That was pretty much what it was. What was that like putting pen to paper for the first time being like, we're doing an album? Mm. It was speed, but we didn't even know it was an album at that point. Yeah, like, we were just doing a song together. Um, yeah. I, I guess after speed, when we decided to say, okay, this, I, this sound, this, this feel like this works. Let's, let's see where this goes. I think at that point, I, it was, it was almost the same. I'm not going to lie. It wasn't like there were any real expectation, at least on my end. It was more so I had my own fight, I guess, internal fight where I was trying to show that I was worthy of being in a group with Fonte and Knight. So I was more focused on that. So I was determined. It was like, I'm going to show I belong. I'm going to show that I'm supposed to be here. I wasn't thinking about making an album or what the album was going to do or any of that. It was just more, I want to show I belong. And so I was ready. I was writing like crazy. Yeah, I think my first memory, definitely Speed, like that was the first song that we did together as Little Brother. Originally, it was supposed to be me, Pooh, and Median. No, originally, it was supposed to be me and Median. You and Median. But uh, Median never showed up to the studio, and Pooh was with me because Pooh used to always ride with me to the studio. Where we recorded at was my man Cesar Comanche. It was his crib, and he lived in Raleigh, and we were in Durham. So I would always go to Central, pick up Pooh, you know what I'm saying, from the chains and show them, look how we went to the chains. That's our meeting place. That was like that little area between the dorms, between the, the new res, what is called new res, and then Chitley Hall, which was the old dorm. And I would pick him up and we would ride to Raleigh. And so Pooh was always with me. Meeting didn't show up this particular night. So I was like, all right, man, well, me and Pooh are rock to join it. So we did speed. I don't think it really became album, as I recall, the moment that album kind of clicked for me was, I think, when we made The Way You Do It. When we made The Way You Do It, I was like, oh, okay, all right, we got something now. You know what I mean? That was when it really set in. You said like you felt like you had to prove yourself to Fontaine and the crew. What do you mean? It was that summer, right before that summer, when the last semester had ended and we were going into summer, me and Fontaine had a discussion and he was like, yo, you know, you got to work on this. I think you need to work on this or whatever. And, um, I went down to Charlotte that summer and I needed to work on more than anything, my confidence as a rapper. And so I worked 
like I worked tirelessly. Shout out to my man, uh, the mighty DJ Dr. For allowing me into a space, it was this spot called Fat City in Charlotte. And I'm not a freestyler. That's not me at all. Even performing, I still get stage fright and all those different things. But I would force myself every Monday, I believe it was, to get on the mic and cipher and freestyle. And that was helping me build my confidence. And when I, so when I was coming back to school and then the listening ended up happening or us making the listening happen, I wanted to show them Tay more than anybody, but just show him like, I heard you and I went and worked on those things that you told me I needed to work on. I still wasn't where I needed to be, but I just wanted to show that I was working on those things. But nah, he came back hard. He came back. I'll never forget. Like he came back. You could hear the, just the difference. And like the craziest thing was that, you know, famous last words. I was like, yeah, man, I don't really see us as a duo on like on no outcast shit. I don't really know if that worked. You know what I mean? I don't, you know what I mean? And, um, and here we are. And here we fucking are. Look at us. Look at us. Look at us now. Who would have thought? Yeah, just, just, just look at us. Who would have thought? Look at us. <laughs> so, but nah, he went. I could tell he went and, you know what I mean, really, you know, worked on it. Because um, in our crew, really, it was me and Dunny. We were the ones that really freestyled. Like me and me and Dunny, Dunny would just wrap your ass under the table. Like we would just freestyle forever. And um, so Pooh wasn't really like that at the time. But when he came back that summer, um, he just had so much more confidence. And it was always odd because to me, Pooh's voice was always kind of the anchor. You know what I mean? Like he in mixing his voice and like in recording his voice, he always had like a kind of big kind of barreling kind of voice that would just cut through anything like he could rap over you know dishes falling on the floor you know what i mean and it was still cut through um my voice is not really that my voice rap voice doesn't really go too much past my speaking voice but Pooh just had that big barreling voice that just kind of cut through and so to see him to see his confidence level match you know that big voice that he had like that was just a really uh that, that was a really beautiful thing to witness. That's one of the things I've noticed from listeners that Pooh's voice, the confidence in the voice has gotten better. Pooh's latest album, Dream in Color, is incredible. Even another level of that type of mastery of the vocals, storytelling, and just that charisma. So just had to get that 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 plug in out there for everybody to listen to that. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. I, I look at I'm I'm like I'm like uh, well, I'm not an athlete, uh clearly, but <laughs> I treat this like an athlete would treat you know, getting better at their sport. And I always work. It's, you know, I got to get them, them thousand shots up. And thousand shots for me was right. making hundreds of tracks. Yeah, straight up. So the source gave the listening four mics. Fonte's verse on the yo-yo was the source magazine's hip-hop quotable of the month. One of the editors at the time uh, said it was the most sonically cohesive hip-hop album since The Blueprint. The album sold 34,000 units by 2005. But it it went platinum on OK Player. I don't know if y'all know this or remember this. The album dropped two weeks after Get Rich or Die Trying came out. So I don't know if y'all remember that happening. But did you care about like album sales at the time? Nah. Um, not that I recall. I mean, yeah, I don't think we were paying attention to album sales. I think the big battle for us at that time was just trying to get the records in fucking stores. You know what I'm saying? Um, the, the label we were on at that time, you know, ABB, like they just were not, every time people would call us like, yo, we're trying to find a record. We can't find it. We can't find it. You know what I'm saying? And so 
that was the whole part of uh, me and Pooh. You know what I mean? I would drive and go and take the records to the stores myself. You know what I mean? Uh, I would go to uh, Record Exchange. I remember one time me and Ninth, we rolled down to uh, Charlotte and put these in there. Um, you know, it was just doing everything we could to get it out. So record sales weren't really the thing. We just wanted people to be able to hear it, you know? Um, and I remember, of course, I mean, who doesn't remember Get Rich or Die Trying? <laughs> but at that time, I didn't really see it as <laughs> right. a, um, yeah, I, I mean, we were, shit, we was listening to that shit while we was on tour, you know what I mean? So it wasn't, you know, us versus him or, or it wasn't anything like that. Um, we just looked at it as just two separate kind of universes that we both enjoyed, you know, equally. So that was pretty much it. I think for me, I, I was just, I was more concerned with the impact than the numbers. Um, even at that time, like, you know, that's, you know, the the, the beginnings of what we now know as the internet. Um, uh, you know, social media, I'll say on the internet where we have message boards. So I, I was just more concerned with the impact of the album um, and, and how people was responding to it. Those that actually got a chance to hear it. Uh, the numbers was just like, whatever, you know, like are people enjoying it? Do they love it? Is it resonating with them? Do they understand it? Uh, you know, do they want more? Uh, and I think that was really, <laughs> really our biggest concern. Like it wasn't, you know, the numbers game. We always looked at, well, I ain't going to say we, I looked at that as a major label thing. Like, you know, we weren't on a major label, so we weren't, you know, it wasn't a thing of like, oh, if y'all didn't sell a million your first week, you flop. Like it, we, we didn't yeah. have that hanging over our heads. There wasn't that pressure. There wasn't that pressure at all. Yeah. Yeah. It was just like, what's the impact of this album? And, you know, from what we could see, it was it was it was doing well, and and that's all we was concerned about. Yeah, Fonte, you had a, a reaction when I said y'all got four mics in the source. Yeah, we had some folks who are a little bit younger who do not know what the Source magazine right, is right, right. or the importance of that sort of thing. So, well, like, take me through when y'all get the four mics in the source and the quotable in the source. Yeah. So, okay. So, to our younger listeners, getting four mics in the source and the hip hop quotable back then. That was the equivalent of like going viral on TikTok. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like it was just right, like, right. you know what I mean? It was just that thing of of like, you know, everyone was was watching and the source at the time, you know, I mean, it was the Bible. It was hip hop Bible. Like if you, if your album got reviewed in the source, you know what I mean? If you got like three mics, anything less than three, no one was even checking for you. If you got three mics, it was like, yeah, you all right. You know, it's cool. Maybe a couple of joints. Three and a half was like, okay, like this is solid. You know what I mean? It's, you know, some couple valleys here and there, but you know, it's, it's cool. Four was like, yo, okay, this is something to pay attention to. Um, you know what I mean? And then four and a half was like, oh my God. And then five was the classic, you know what I mean? And so it was a five mic rating scale. And so um, I remember, I can't even remember how I got the magazine. I can't even remember who bought it, but I just remember coming home and, and like looking at it and seeing us in there with four mics. And I was just like, holy shit. I mean, we had been, I've been reading the source, you know, since I was a damn near kid, a teenager, you know what I mean? And so to think that we would get four mics in it and then 
I got the hip hop quotable for the yo-yo. It was like, what the fuck? Like, are you serious? You know what I mean? Um, it was it was kind of mind blowing. And um, I, I don't think I really understood the impact at that time. You know, I, I don't think I really understood it until years later. Who you got something on the source? Where were you when you saw that? I was excited. I mean, that was that was the go to. That was everything that that was, you know, with the, the hip hop's Bible. Like that's that's really what it was. Like if if the source gave an album a rating, that was the rating. Um, and and you know there was there was debate over certain albums, but it wasn't it wasn't like a huge gulf or divide. Like it wasn't <laughs> like a two Mike rating album. People were arguing for it to be a four or five. Like if it was a two, it was a two. So, um, so for us to get a four, our first time out the gate. Something that we did in our friend's apartment. Uh, that was like, that was might as well have been a five for me. Nah, straight up. Yeah, just the fact that we made it in that bitch. He was like, hey, <laughs> all right, we made it. It's like, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah. And then for Tay to have the quotable as well. Like that was, that was like when you win, um, what is it? You win an uh, Emmy and then you go on to win. Uh, the Oscar, yeah. you know, is, yeah. that, is that, yeah, I think it's that, like, it was, it was almost that, it's like, oh, shit, like, you know, to be rated in the magazine, but then you got the quotable over all these other people. You won the championship and you got MVP. It's like, oh, wow. It was kind of insane. So, um, but yeah, I just remember just being really taken aback and, um, yeah, looking at it and I was like, okay, all right, we gotta, we gotta keep this shit going. Because a lot of reviews were like, they sound East Coast, they got tribe influence but i've always you know growing up in the south people in the south love tribe like people in the south love like there's that's not a necessarily only east coast thing my theory is that it's like the jazz like that like that just is a southern thing and that folks were digging into it like what were y'all you know making that album and being influenced that by keeping it southern like how does that work i think the thing that people don't realize about the south and i'm originally from virginia and this you know, technically it's the South, but it's, you know, geographically, as far as music is concerned, it fits in the same category where I'm about to say, but in the South, we listen to everything. Like there, there wasn't, this was before the, the, the uh, Lil' John Renaissance and, you know, all, you know, what Southern music became, but in the South, you got everything. And then being in North Carolina, being where we were at in North Carolina, you had people coming from everywhere to go to school there. So you got your West Coast, you had your Midwest, you had your South, you had your, you know, your Miami South, you know, which was different. At a Miami base, yeah. Yeah, so you had you had all these different things and it was like one big pot of gumbo as far as music was concerned. So we listened to everything. It was very much, it almost kind of reminded me, the, you know, the way I describe it, it's almost kind of like how you'll see like a white person singing like a soul song or whatever. Like if you just hear Adele or Phil Collins or whoever, right? And you hear them singing and it's like, oh man, they sound so American. But then you hear them talk and it's like, oh no, he's white as hell, right? Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> right. I think it's uh -huh. just because, you know, in the UK, you know, they study us, you know what I mean? Um, and I think it's just, you have a very different relationship to a type of music when you grow up studying it, as opposed to if you lived in the, in the on the East Coast in New York, where you kind of grew up in it, you know, in the South, we were outsiders in a way in that we studied it, not mimicking. I mean, it's not, you know, there's a, it's a difference. It's not mimicry, 
But, you know, it right, is right. studying. And, you know, it's like Pooh was saying, you know, we had to be students of everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you lived in New York, you may have, you know, you may have known, okay, I know what's happening in my borough. I know what's going on in Brooklyn. I know what's going on in Harlem or whatever. But in the South, we had to know Brooklyn, Harlem, Chicago, Detroit, Texas, Philly, you know what I'm saying? L.A., <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you had to study everything. And so I think that just gave you, gave us um, just a, a much more well-rounded and kind of 360 uh, panoramic view of music as a whole. And um, because we, we were students of it all and remain students. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is the most memorable moment that you have in the studio making a listening? Oh, my God. The jokes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the jokes of, yeah, Make Me Hot Pee was very memorable. Like, that was just literally a joke. Most of all our skits and stuff, that was what they started as. They just started as studio jokes, and we just took them way too far. <laughs> so that was kind of what it was like make me hot pee that was you know uh knife at the time would be doing sessions for dudes and they come they wouldn't be ready and they just wouldn't have their stuff and he'd be frustrated and we'd be like yo p they want you to make them hot you want you to make them hot like just we started singing that shit and you know he found a record put it on the album <laughs> yeah and, and that was what it was one of the memories i'll never forget this one this is somber one um the night after we recorded mm -hmm. Away From Me. Away From Me. We recorded Away From Me on 9-10. September 10th. 2001. Ooh. And I remember I was, I had got back to dorm probably like four or five in the morning. And um, I had a 9 a.m. class. I don't know why I did that to myself, but I wasn't getting enough for that class. And my roommate was, he was waking me up and I'm like, Dude, I told you I ain't going to class. And he was like, nah, look at the TV. And I was like, why are you waking me up to see some demolition, bro? Like, and when, when I finally woke up to see what was happening, and that was literally the night after we recorded away from me. Like, I'll never forget that song and that, like, that thing, that time goes hand in hand. Yeah. Cause that night, I remember on my side, ninth. He came and stayed at the crib. He stayed at my crib that night. We left because we recorded away from me. At Doe House. A uh, big Doe. We recorded that at his crib. And he lived in Durham. And so it, we got out late. And um, I wasn't driving knife back to Raleigh. I was like, yeah, come to the crib. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So he came to the house and he stayed at the crib. At my apartment at the time. And he woke me up that next morning. He was like, yo, man, look at this shit. It's, uh, they done flew a plane into the World Trade Center. I was like, what the fuck? And um, now nah, that was that was September 10th. Uh, that was the night we did away from me. And that's a hell of a song to record the night before. You know what I'm saying? Like that is about, you know, <laughs> distance. Oh, yeah. And oh, never yeah. knowing when you're going to see people again and family and all that stuff like that's, you know, how does that impact how you listen back to that 
So well, I remember at that time, I remember that morning, you know, knife woke me up and I like, look, you know, I'm like, what the fuck? And my son at the time, he was staying with his mom and they were like in the D.C. area. And also, you know, that plane, it hit the, the Pentagon, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. So yeah. I was like, holy shit. And so, um, you know, I called, uh, I called my son's mom. I was like, yo, y'all all right? Y'all good? And I just remember like crying a little bit because it was just, you know, it was just, you know, you don't expect after leaving the studio to wake up and see no shit like that. You know what I mean? So, right. um, it definitely, um, I don't think we've ever performed that song live. Who have we ever? I don't think we've ever done no, that song live. Yeah, we have never we, done that. We song probably live. won't ever do it live. It's just we will not do that song live. <laughs> I, I'm not a big fan. I'm personally not a big fan because you know a lot of people ask they're like, "Yo, y'all gonna do a 20th anniversary concert of the listening top to bottom?" And it's just like, no, I'm like we're not. We don't. You don't want to do that. <laughs> y'all have always had this transparency about the real life stuff, right? So how has that been something that you've grown with? Especially knowing that you're going to like perform some of these songs in front of like complete strangers. How has that evolution of those type of songs been? I think the thing for us, and this is about to sound so simple. We just go in the studio and we're us like at all times. Like there's no, you're not getting a different version of me on record than the version you're going to see yeah. If you run into me in Walmart, <laughs> like yeah, right. I'm the same person all the time. And that's kind of how we approach songs. So it's not necessarily difficult to perform them. We always thought about performing these songs. So you have to make them, even though the content may be heavy, you have to still make it. So it's not so heavy that it's like, dude, I'm I ain't not- even dancing to this shit. I can't yeah. even move. Yeah, you st- It still got a jam. Cry, bro. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's still, you still got a jam. It still got a jam. So I, I think that's been the trick for us is just as we've matured and got better, um, we've learned how to make, you know, put them greens in that brownie. You know what I right. mean? You don't even know it's in there. You're just enjoying the brownie and not even knowing you're getting your medicine, yeah, so. medicine and applesauce. Yeah. So what songs have aged the best to you? Way you do it is aged really well. Why is that? Why you say that? I think it was just a universal message. Like, you know what I'm saying? It was just, you know, my verse just, it was us essentially talking about getting ready for a live show, you know, um, and just having that appreciation for people that actually came out to see us. And um, I think that, you know, even resonates even more now in a post-COVID. And I'm not saying because it's over, because COVID still, it ain't over. But, <laughs> but in Rona a, in is a, in the building. Yes. In the building. The Rona was in there. Um, <laughs> nah, man. I think just especially in a world where, you know, uh, going to shows now, there's an additional threat, you know, of of uh, of harm um, to see people actually show up for you. I think it means even more now. So I think every time we do that song, like that shit always go off. I think speed. Speed still go. Yeah. Speed is age well. I mean, because that's, you know, where that may not necessarily be our lives anymore is still a lot of people live that rap race. And yeah. um so that 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 song still still resonates. Um, um so fabulous probably not as much. That was just basically nah. just a, a tribute track. Yeah, I mean I don't regret making it, but yeah, that was just a love letter to all our heroes that in twenty twenty three it probably would just be a DM. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I probably wouldn't have wasted y'all time. Uh, originally, 
Groupie, we did originally. We didn't even start off with group. Groupie was originally the album went right into For You, if I'm not mistaken. It went from it went from the intro to For You, and then we did Groupie, and it was like something that was, you know, it was funny to us, you know what I mean? But like, I mean, now I don't know. Like, we ain't doing that shit live. But... No, <laughs> the way you do is really interesting to me because the idea of fans is really interesting to me. When did you realize, like, I have a fan? Somebody I don't know is a fan of mine. That's fucking with my shit, yeah. Harold to it, maybe? Yeah. I think it was the internet, man. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the internet, that's when we got unbiased. Unfiltered. <laughs> unfiltered, <laughs> raw feedback from people who had no idea who we was. Um, they They had no idea what we looked like, where we came from, anything. They just heard these songs and I think that was that was the first time where I was like oh shit like there's people out there fucking with us like right. and then with and then when we do when we started doing shows that wasn't in North Carolina and then I, I'll never forget this story we were doing um like I said before I have I have stage fright it's not as bad now but it was it was terrible in the beginning and we mm-hmm. were in New York New York City baby SOBs, <laughs> legendary SOBs. And we're performing and we're performing the yo yo for the first time, right? And I'm seeing people mouth the words back to me. And that freaked me out. Like in that split second, I lost all thought, train of thought, everything. And I, I just, I basically, I just ugh on myself on stage. But <laughs> like that, freaked me out just seeing people like y'all know this song better than I do how <laughs> like yeah, why right. yeah. and and that was that was a weird feeling in in the beginning it was it was a very weird feeling for me we talk about the industry and how messed up the industry is the first place you look is like groups right and yeah. especially how they treat groups right because there's different elements of that and obviously you guys have had your career arc that has been well versed of like falling into love out of love the music and all the stuff the industry like, do you go back and just think about that optimism? Think about myself starting as a journalist. I was like talking about Elliot Wilson and Danielle Smith, the way that y'all were talking about them. Talk to me about that optimism. And do you struggle to keep it or do you go back to the album to find it? Man, that's a great question. For me, I don't know if so much if I go back to the album to find it. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, in some ways, maybe so. I mean, because... I guess for me in times when I just am, you know, just, you know, this game, it'll take everything from you if you fucking let it, you know, but um, I always have to remember that time where I was just so happy to be doing this. You know what I'm saying? Um, It's really easy, you know, 20 years in to just be like, eh, another day at the studio, another, another verse, another song, another, eh, whatever. Um, But, you know, I, I think the listening, like I said earlier, it very much, it was a time capsule and it was just a portrait of who we were as people. You know what I'm saying? At that time, you know, before, you know, before we really saw what the game really was, you know what I'm saying? And so um, I, I think it's important, you know, there's, it's cringeworthy parts to hear just because, you know, it's, you sound so naive and so young and fucking stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, um, but I think you you have to have some of that at that point in your career when you're just young and you're just starting out. And we were not proven at all. 
You know what I mean? And we were coming, we weren't proven and we were coming from a place that hadn't really been proven, you know, in the music industry in that way. You know, it's not like we were coming from a Brooklyn or LA or even, you know, Chicago or just a notable city. We were literally coming out of nowhere. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, when I, when I look back on the list and I definitely do hear that optimism and, um, now I think it just is more of a, it's still optimism. I would say more sort of optimism is just a kind of, just a hardened wisdom, I guess. <laughs> you know what I mean? More so now than just blatant, like optimism. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever been that person. I don't know. I, I don't know. Oh, to be young. <laughs> <laughs> I think I look back and I, I just, I try to grasp little things that I can. Like it's obviously you can't go back in time and you can't unknow what you know. So Bruh. I try, I try to grasp little things. So like when we recorded, made a little watch in uh, 2018 and 2019, that was as close as we got to when we recorded the listening where nobody really knew what we were doing. We were just having fun again recording an album that nobody knew we were recording. And so just having that moment again, like felt, you felt it a little, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, oh man, I remember what this felt like the first time where we just came out of nowhere, blah, music. And to, to be able to do that again, that was, that felt like that time, a little bit like that time for me. So um, yeah, you, you just got to reach back and grab little things. Cause like I said, you can't, it's it's tough, man. You can't. We've been in this thing for twenty years. You can't. You can't unsee things. Yeah, man. You can't. Bruh. You can't unhear things. <laughs> you know. You can't unlearn things. So it. You know. You there is. You are jaded to a point, but you know to have those little slithers of time where you can put your guard down and feel like the old time means everything. Y'all said cringy each of like three or four times. What yeah. on the album? What is cringy when you go back to it, whether it's a bar or a whole song or just something that you just, just oh drives you crazy it's, when you go back to it's it? It's everything, bro. It's, it's everything. It's everything. <laughs> it's voices. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, how I look. I, I can't. It's almost like I can hear me reading <laughs> like now. <laughs> um, uh, just not just bars, just. You know, not really having them formulated or put together well. Just yeah, there's mistakes, and I don't even want. And the thing is, you know, because I've been asked this question a lot of times before, and you know, maybe in like another twenty years, I'll talk about. But there are just so many mistakes that I hear on the album that I don't want to point them out to the listener because I don't want to ruin it for them. Like I'm, I'm like the opposite of Beats by Dre. Like Beats by Dre, the whole idea was he (laughs) wanted you to hear music the way he heard it. You don't want to hear music the way I hear it. It would just make you miserable. <laughs> like, it's just don't <laughs> just, you know what I mean? Just stay where you're at, people. You, you don't, you don't want to know what's going on here. It just don't. Yeah. It's no. So yeah, man. Um, yeah, just as a writer, um, I think it's just um, you know, there's a thing they talk about uh called the creator's curse, if I'm not mistaken, where you start working on something, but you get better while you're working on it. So by the time you finish it, you're no longer happy with the thing you made. You know what I mean? Because yes, you're yes. better than you were when we started it, right? That is, I mean, that is every record, but that really is the listening. I mean, that was us literally just figuring shit out in real time and just trying things and seeing what worked. 
And um, it worked. But now that we're better and more technically better, let me be clear, technically better. Um, it's just stuff you hear. It's like, oh, my God, like I could have mixed that vocal like this and this, the sibilance on this. Like, it's just nerd shit that nobody else would give a fuck about. But right. um, us being, you know, better technically at our craft, you know, we hear it and we still kind of cringe at it. No, I feel I've been getting, you know, people will quote passages from the book and I'll be like, that preposition was not, <laughs> I hate that it's in there. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to DM and be like, can you delete that please? Because I just hate that one sentence. I just want to go back, but you can't fix it. Like it's just, it's there forever. Because the people don't hear it the way you do. They don't right. see it the way, in your case, they don't read it the way you do. Like, so like Tay said, they don't know necessarily what was mistakes and what wasn't. Right. Um, and 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 we're gonna keep it that way, <laughs> but <laughs> we definitely hear them. <laughs> like they are right. very present. Uh, you know, because people always like, yeah, man, you don't listen to your music. No. Nah. One thing I will give away, I well, I will say in listening to the multi-tracks, like in you know, uh putting stuff together for the documentary and everything. And going through the multi-tracks, if you listen to uh, pretty much damn near all my verses on the listening, I always start off with like, yeah, yeah. And that was me just kind of testing the mic level before it's like, yeah, yeah. You know the niggas that I'm talking like, but I would always start off with that. It was always just this, I think it was me just being kind of nervous and just trying to like, to build myself up to get ready to do it. But um, that's like all through, that's all through that album. I, I'll give one more away, Tay. I'll give one more away. Right. For You was a mic check song. Yeah, straight up. We pieced <laughs> that together. Yeah. On the spot. Yeah. It was wow. literally a mic check song. Yeah, we had just got a new mic in. Uh, Big Doe had bought a new mic. And we were trying to get the levels right on the mic. And we literally pieced that song together doing mic checks trying to get both of our levels and where we were right. Yeah. Knife had just made that beat, I think, earlier that day and we came over and yeah, we was like, all right, let's test this. And because those rhymes I had originally written, I spit that verse over like a whole other beat that my man Eccentric did. Eccentric was, uh, so Eccentric did, he produced the get up on the listening. Uh, He's also known, better known by his nickname of fucking Gerald. Um, that is, right. <laughs> that's his, you know, name is Gerald, but, um, and one half of unheralded symmetrics, got to give him a yes, shout out indeed. to, <laughs> yes, we Michael Cosmic, nigga, come on, son, so, <laughs> nah, man, he was, uh, that was eccentric, so, yeah, he, he did the get up, and, um, but yeah, we were just figuring all that shit out in real time, and so, I spit those original rhymes before you over an eccentric beat, me and Pooh came to the studio, we had the new mic. We was like, just test it. And those verses that we spit, they were just, you know, test verses. And we ended up keeping them, putting the hook on it. And that was how For You became. So what are some of the things that did not make the album, that almost made the album, that you wanted on the album, or even songs that turned out differently than they would have originally? I know there was a big, debate about Strongest Man off of my solo album Sleepers was recorded after, like right after we finished the listening. Oh, wow. Okay. I managed at the time, Big Doe. He wanted to replace Groupies 2 
with a more recent song that I had done because it was a better song, obviously. It was months later. Um, and it was a big debate about that. I didn't care personally. Um, I had a solo song on the album, so it didn't matter which song it was. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> but uh, there was a big debate about that, um, swapping those songs out. And, um, you know, Tay had his reason for why he wanted to start with Groupie 2, and that reason obviously won out. But yeah, that was that was one, that was one that Groupie Two almost was replaced. But I, I think it was Strongest Man. I, yeah, I that sounds that sounds about right. Yeah, I I was always at that time, not so much now, but just at that time of um putting records together. I was a big fan of kind of like a false start, so to speak. So, um, you know, if you listen to Doggy Style, like the first person that you hear rapping on Doggy Style ain't Snoop. It's rage, right. mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so I kind of like that, the idea of just withholding a little something. It's like, just kind of, just like a, just a kind of fake out. It's like, oh, you thought that was, okay, no, 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 no. Here's the, you know what I mean? Just kind of still, I mean, still a dope record. I mean, we, I did the same thing on Connected with uh, Von C's, um, you know what I'm saying? Where he was kind of like, he was, you know, the the rage, <laughs> you know, to doggy style. You know what I mean? I kind of like that. But um, yeah, I remember, yeah, I, I forgot. Yeah, I guess you did the strongest man right after that. I remember it was a record we had, we started, we had a record we were gonna do with flow. And like we just never did it. It was um we did, we never recorded it. Um, but everything else, and I mean, this is the thing I can say about like all our records when people ask about vaults there really are no little brother vaults, so to speak. Like, we just weren't that group that just went into an album and was like, all right, we're going to record 50 songs and let's pick the best 12. And, you know, uh, we just didn't believe in in that way of working. We wanted to be efficient. You know, if we thought something was dope, if we both believed in it, it was like, all right, or, you know, if it was like, all right, let's do this then let's just do it. And that's the song. But there really wasn't a whole lot of stuff left off on the cutting room floor. Everything that we did around that period, it came out one way or the other. Uh, Gotta get that uh, with Legacy. That ended up, we ended up putting that like on a mixtape. Because a lot of those songs that ended up, if you will want to say they were on the cutting room floor, actually came after we finished what was the listening. Like there wasn't, there wasn't like, like you take Fonte said, it wasn't like we did 20 records and then those were the ones left over we had the listening and then we were still recording records and those became like altitudes mm-hmm. uh, yeah yeah like those right they, they they we just put them other places yeah, like chilling circuit joints yeah they were technically after we recorded the listening but it was before the listening came out we just didn't start you know, taking tracks off and moving tracks around. We we didn't do that. Now, once we once we uh, agreed on the sequence of the listening and we had it locked in, that was what it was. You know, it, even if we would have came with a better song, um, it just still I don't know. It just kind of what it was, and that's kind of the way we always have been. We did it same thing on uh, the Minstrel Show when we recorded. Minstrel Show was done. We were mixing Minstrel Show, and most came to the studio that night. And baseline, and that's when we did the Let It Go record. Um, but Minstrel Show was already in, and you know everything. So it was locked and loaded. It was just like, <laughs> all right. So you know, we ended up putting it on Gangsta Grills, which worked out even better. Obviously, we got to talk about Doja Cat. 
<laughs> Man. And Doja Cat rapping to little brother and rapping uh, whatever you say. I believe she was doing that. Was not on my bingo card. Right. Talk about you seeing Doja Cat rapping this, but then also talk about a verse that does not rhyme. Man, um, yeah, I mean, we're seeing Doja Cat. I mean, again, that's just not something you wake up and expect to see, you know, on a on a random Thursday. Um, yeah, man, it was it was amazing. I mean, you know, just to see that again, that something you did when you were essentially a, a kid or just, you know, very young man, you know, that it still resonates 20 years later. I mean, that's just the greatest, you know, payment within itself. So, you know, for me, writing that verse or doing whatever you say, I just thought it would just be just a fun thing to do. Um, it was very much kind of inspired by Slum Village. Like just they were at that time, you know, Fantastic Volume 2 uh, ran my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I ran that album. I played the MP3 tags off that damn album. So um, big, big love to Slum Village and, and Jay Dilla always. Uh, there is there is no LB without Slumville, like period. And so I like what they were doing with rhythm. You know what I'm saying? They were not at that, what they were doing. It, was, it wasn't necessarily lyrical. You know, it wasn't lyrical miracle rap, but they just did really interesting things with timing and taking pauses and space. And it was just a very different approach to emceeing. Uh, and it wasn't so much focused on just bars, bars, bars. It really was feeling, you know what I mean? And so um, with whatever you say, that was the thought. I was like, okay, let me, what if I just write a verse that doesn't rhyme? If I stay, if I just fall with the beats, if I just, you know, make my pauses fall a certain place, you know, they won't even recognize, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so that was the, that was the idea. I just wanted to see if I could kind of just pull it off. That was, that felt like the most anti-rapper thing to do at 22 years old, just <laughs> write a verse that didn't rhyme. And being at that time, we wrote everything together. And uh, and just seeing him, he didn't tell me what he was doing, but just seeing the look on his face as he was like, he's all, <laughs> 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 like, what are you doing? Like, what is, what is wrong with you? Like, but, and, you know, when he did, because even when, when he, re when we recorded it, I still didn't realize he didn't rhyme until he got to the end. Right. It said, your head's still bobbing in my verse didn't rhyme. And I was like, hey, man, play that back. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you really didn't rhyme? And then they, I was like, oh, that's what he was doing when he was in the room, the way he was rocking. And, and so it was, it was, uh, that was one of them things. Like, I even said to Joseph, I was like, yeah, I, I ain't know, I don't know how he did that either. Because that was, <laughs> <laughs> that was, <laughs> it felt like mad scientist shit at the time. Right. Like, even, like, it, it just felt like who would think to write a verse in rap that doesn't rhyme. Right. Like, that just made no sense. and But it made all the sense we heard. Of course. And then there's obviously the yo-yo. <laughs> I got a couple of spills of yo-yo. First, run it all down. The three most important moments in spoken word history is Love Jones, Death Poetry Jam, Death Poetry Jam, and Fonte's verse of the yo-yo. Because I feel like you dropped the verse and everybody just started boarding up spoken word houses <laughs> all across the country and it was just not cool anymore like you just they just everybody just like like threw their notepads away and like got a job like as soon as you did that <laughs> dude yeah man the yo-yo that was that was something that came from you know personal experience um at the time 
I was working, um, this is still Blue Cross, and uh, there was a poetry spot that my girl Tracy used to do. She used to have like a poetry night at this spot in downtown Durham. It wasn't Bully's Basement. It was, what was the name of that place? I can't remember. But anyway, um, Tracy is also the chick that says, uh, when we do the WJLR slow jams, Tracy Evora is the one that says that. So if you're out there, Tracy, thank you. It was at the no longer there Tobacco Road House. Tobacco Road House. Yes, indeed. Tobacco Road House. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed, <laughs> yeah. bro. Come on. Yeah, them good old Adolf parties, nigga. Come on, cuz. Yes, indeed. Listen, so, yeah, bro. So that was back then. And so he, she had this poetry night, and she had hit me, and she was like, hey, you know, would you want to come and host it? You know what I mean? It was like a live band of poetry. And I was like, cool. She's like, it was her and the homie Matt Sherman. Shout out to my man Matt Sherman. And um, they was like, I was like, yeah, cool. She's like, you know, we pay you like $100. I was like, $100? Shit, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? That was back when the Nissan, I could feel that. Man, listen, feel that thing go for them $10. You know what I'm right. saying? Like straight up. So we up, man. So I go and do it. And it was just like all of these. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, listen, poetry is a talent. There are very talented poets. But this night, uh, these poets were not talented. <laughs> <laughs> like, at all. Like, they weren't good. At all. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm just like, what the fuck? And so I'm on the mic, like, just in between segments, just talking my shit and just being me, you know what I mean? And so afterwards, uh, the next day, uh, Tracy called me, and I got paid. Of course, she paid me. And she was like, I was like, yo, so okay, we doing this again. I'm thinking I got, like, a residency and shit. I'm like, right. hell yeah, nigga, I got, <laughs> damn, $100 every damn two weeks, nigga, word up. And um, she was just like, yeah, well, um, you know, we got some complaints from our, some of our patrons about, you know, you using the N-word. And I was like, Tracy, <laughs> I don't use the N-word. I say, nigga. <laughs> <laughs> What's the problem? <laughs> you know what I mean? And she was just like, you know, she was like, yeah, they were kind of whatever. And that shit pissed me off because I really needed that $100. And so that was <laughs> when I went and wrote the verse for the yo-yo. That was what inspired that. Just kind of the hypocrisy of that that whole scene and just kind of the pretentiousness of it of it all um, was really just, it wasn't necessarily the poets themselves, but it was just all of that that scene of that, you know, thinking that you're better than an MC because you, you know, do spoken word, you know what I mean? And it's just like, Nigga, we smoke the same weed. What are you talking about? And drink the same tea. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, I guess because like I think one of the reasons that this album resonated with the OK Player because it it is like a series of essays, right? Like ver like every verse like had a beginning <laughs> and an end, and it was like blog posts on wax, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow, 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 wow. They had a point to them. It wasn't just like a lot of just rambling on on wax, right? So one thing I love about Pooh is your relationship songs are not melodramatic. They're just like, we were together, shit ain't work out. <laughs> it was very real. There's not like a plot to it. It's not like trapped in the closet. <laughs> nah. <laughs> so like you drop this, you do this verse on the yo-yo. It's about this thing. You see this person, you know, whatever sees you. It's just so hilarious. Absolutely <laughs> hilarious to me. That's why yo-yo is like just one of the funniest songs. Like in hindsight, thinking back on it. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't even know I don't even know how we let that go. Uh <laughs> like we were really all over the place on that song. Like I cuz it, it the crazy thing is and we wrote right together. Yeah. Right? 
we wrote this song together. Yeah, but it was just always, we wrote together. I mean, we wrote like in together, meaning in the same physical space. But yeah, we would, yeah, we wouldn't like, okay, I got these two lines. Nah, nah. It <laughs> okay, was just, I got these three lines. Like, nah, just let each other go to our respective corners and just work. Right. That was what it was. <laughs> yeah, then it'll be like, yo, what, yo, Pooh, what you, what you, what you here? Where, where you at with it? And then I'll say what I say. Okay, all right, all right. Okay. Because he was always quicker than me. He was always, Pooh was always, I mean, he was, you know, you know, the the beginner. I mean, if you want to say that, you know, he was fresh in the game, you know what I mean? But like, he was always a much quicker writer than I was, you know what I mean? And like, that's because I wasn't intricate. (laughs) I was very straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He would be finishing this shit and they'd be waiting on me. I'm like, yo, like, I'm like, yo, man, I'm, I'm like, shit. So I would hear to hear what he had. I'm like, and for me, it was always, um, and even still is a practice that I do now. Um, you know what I'm saying? When I'm collaborating with other artists, you know, um, sometimes I like to hear what you're doing just so I know where not to go. You know, it's never, it, particularly with, with the MCs, it's never a thing of like, if we're on a track together, like, Yo, I gotta come with the best verse. I gotta smoke you. I gotta. It's it's never about that for me. To me, it's always about what's gonna make for the best song. You know what I mean? And so I would just check. I'm like, who were you at with it? He'd be like, Yeah, I only got like two more bars to go. I'm like, Damn, nigga, I ain't got but two bars. Like, what the fuck? This is gonna be a long night. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Gotta make sure this verse don't rhyme, y'all. Come on now. (laughs) The hook made it work though. The hook is what brought everything together. So even though. You know, I'm on one street, he on the other. You hear that hook? That's the main street connecting both of our streets. So. That's a thesis statement. Y'all don't have to respond to the last legacy part. Y'all can be modest if you want. But the listening is the, the quintessential everyman rap album that a lot of these folks took and ran with on the mainstream and said that that was, you know, they were bringing something new. And a lot of people... <laughs> Quote, quote, unquote, were teething off the listening that whole time to try to become, to try to take this everyman approach that you guys perfected for this album and made a relatable album that was resonated with a lot of folks. And that is the last part of the legacy part I want to talk about. Y'all, y'all ain't got to respond. Oh, no, we don't respond. Shit, man. I ain't my. Nah, nah, nah. Nah, that's, it's, it's, I mean, it's true. You know what I'm saying? It's true. It's true. I mean, it's one of those things for, for me where it's like, you know, we 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 borrowed from those we grew up listening to. And, uh, you know, we we eventually became little brother. What ended up happening was we show people that. You can be you. And still be successful, still have fans, still. It's just some people have bigger budgets. they were on bigger labels they had better resources and they were able to do things that or they were willing to do things that Tay and I just yeah we we wasn't doing that shit yeah nah it was yeah yeah, I remember us being on tour you know on one of our first early tours for the listening and being out with Kanye and you know it was you know we had met Kanye before and had like been out with him he came to Durham you know what I'm saying for a music conference uh, you know, some months earlier, I believe. And, uh, you know, we went out and I remember afterwards, you know, he was giving an interview and like he bit us up. He was like, yeah, you know, little brother, you know what I'm saying? I saw, 
You know, so I saw him in the magazine. You know what I'm saying? He was talking about my hip hop code. He's like, yeah, I saw him in the magazine. I was like, man, this dude going to get to my style before I get to it. You know what I mean? And, you know, at the time, I was just like, I didn't feel any way about it or anything because to me, it was just like, dude, we are on two completely different levels. Like, you know, you're playing in Madison Square Garden. Like, nigga, I'm just hooping with my niggas at the Y on Saturday, bro. You know what I mean? Like, we're not even, at least in my mind, like, that's not even what we're going for. Like, we are no threat to any of y'all because we ain't about to do all that shit that y'all do. Like, that's just not who we are. You know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of times when our legacy is brought up, people, they bring it up with a, a sense of, um, like get back, uh, pardon the pun, but they bring it up with a sense of like, man, y'all, y'all owe the game. Y'all owe so much. These niggas did this and they owe y'all money and da, 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 da. And it's just like, dude, but that's not who we are. You know what I mean? The game been good to me. Listen, listen. <laughs> I'm in my, I'm in my, I'm in my living room on the damn Friday talking to ESPN, right. talking with my man from the smoking section. Nigga, we made it. What? Come on, man. Right. Come out of here. Who, who mad? Come on. Yes, sir. Who mad? And I can go to the grocery store and spend forty five minutes walking up every aisle for the forty fifth time, and nobody bothered me. <laughs> like all of <laughs> getting multiple cheeses. Gruyere, Gouda, <laughs> Gorgonzola. I can rock my NCCU shirt and go buy some some sharp cheddar cheese, nigga. Hey, I'm cool, man. All right. Ready? These are vastly important questions to my life. Definitive questions. All right. Number one, I'm going to lean into the mic. Cookout or Bojangles? Cookout? Once I learn... Hey, listen, man. You can go... And- save it, save it, save it. I learned something. I learned something <laughs> about cookout. Cookout really is kind of the, the Swiss Army knife of fast food when it comes in Oklahoma. I mean, what other place do you know where you can get a cheeseburger preach combo? Talk about it. A quesadilla. A quesadilla chicken nuggets as a side. As, side. as a side. <laughs> as you a know side. what I mean? <laughs> like you get you get a cheeseburger, a quesadilla, chicken nuggets. You know what I'm saying? A, a, a cheesecake shake. For 534. You know what I mean? Listen, bro. Listen, man. For 534. Inflation did not touch. I know. Cookout. It really okay? didn't. They, they're saved by the Bible scriptures on the bottom of the cups. They don't. <laughs> their Bible scriptures <laughs> on the bottom of cookout. I didn't cups? even know they were yeah, there. Yeah, like their Bible scriptures <laughs> all over the, the, the stuff at cookout. Like it's like a re- super hyper religious. Uh, I'm going tonight. Food. Like when you go to cookout. I, also, either on the bottom of the cups, it's on the styrofoam, it's on all the all the places stuff is, is Bible verses. And so, Tay, I'll re, I'll report back tonight. Yeah, I'm yeah. Going. I, I look for you in the chat. I look for you in the group chat. I'm going. I got to go now. Things I'm learned about cookout in all my years of living here. Yeah, because I my God, was- my God has given me them five dollar <laughs> <laughs> shakes, them five dollar hush My God has protected me and my heart from two a.m. burgers, hush puppies, and chili. Hey, listen, and a milkshake. bro. Listen, man, I can't, my cookout orders changed over here. I can't eat, like, I, I mean, there was a time where I could just take down a double, a big double from cookout with impunity, nigga. Like, just, right. do, just <laughs> you know what I mean? I could go in on that shit. Now, like, if I even attempted that, it's going to be a problem. I can't, you got to plan, just, you got to plan two weeks in advance. You got to plan. Straight up and down. Yeah. yeah, I might can do it a single, I, but yeah, I, yeah. Most of I do the chicken sandwich. 
And you can get barbecue. You can get, you know, chopped pulled pork. You know what I'm saying? Where else you get right. pulled pork, cheesecake, quesadillas, chicken nuggets, onion rings, <laughs> and cheeseburgers in one order. We need that sponsorship. We need that sponsorship cookout. Come on now. Holla, cookout. Hey, listen, for real. Fonte, favorite poo verse. Man, on the listening? Ever. Or you could do on the listening, whichever one. Okay, okay, yeah, we keep we'll keep it on brand with the listening. Favorite poo verse on the listening. Oh man, I probably if I just got to pick off the top of my head, man, I probably would go with for you. Honestly, I probably go with for you. That was like, because that was again, you know, that was still kind of early in the process, but that was just one of those times where I could just hear him kind of surfacing. You know what I mean? Right. And he was always that person that always like kept getting better who favorite fonte verse on the listening um it's not it's it's the whole song actually it's um nighttime maneuvers i, lo- I love that song oh wow like, i know that i love that song like it's just it's, it was just at that time for tay like it was different from like Cause you got the, the first time I was introduced to Tay. Well, not the first time. The second time I was introduced to Tay rhyming was at a battle. Okay, and he's completely different <laughs> at a battle. Okay, very different. I'm used to it now, but he's very di- like I wasn't used to a person that was so animated. And um, and so even though the listening is kind of laid back, like for that, like that's perfect nighttime driving around music. And just the way he he just he just he just laid into the track. It was just so perfect. Like it, he became an instrument to the track. But what he saying was so poignant. Like I, that's that's probably my favorite. That's one of my favorite Fonte songs. Period. Oh well, thank you, man. I didn't know that. Off the list. Yeah. All right. Final one. Best posse cut of all time. Best posse cut of all time. Ah. Uh... Is Wu Tang Clan count? Yeah, right. Triumph is that? Can we count? Is that one? No, that's <laughs> a Wu Tang song, man. All right, okay, okay. All right, we can't count. It's triumph. a posse. <laughs> <laughs> like, every cut is a posse cut, dude. Right. That's uh, a, right. Um, <laughs> all right, if I gotta pick one, I mean, God, it's so many, man. Uh, I mean, of course, you gotta go with scenario, um, remix, scenario remix. I mean, both versions are dope, but scenario remix. Um, oh my God, man. Yeah, scenario remix, that's kind of hard to talk. Cause that shit is like a production. Like all those ad libs right. and shit. Like, I mean, that is a vocal masterclass. You know what I'm saying? Um, God, scenario, uh, posse cut. Posse I think cut. scenario, I think scenario one is so stands so tall is because they were actually cool and crew. I mean. Most of Posse Cuts back then, they were actually cool with each other. But you can really right, right. hear, like, like y'all really, it's almost sound like y'all were a group <laughs> when they did. Straight up right. and down. Straight up and down. Yeah, I, my favorite Posse Cuts, though, are the ones that, like, is not, that necessarily has a bunch of rappers, but, like, when the rappers, like, put their homies on. And you can right, right, clearly yeah. tell that it's their homies' first time. <laughs> like Farmer, like Farmers Boulevard or Mama Said Knock You Out by LL. Like it's it's yeah, it's it's yeah, it's some struggle in that one. Um Farmers Boulevard, um, God, what's another one? Um Five Men in the Mic off Special Ed's legal. 
that one's pretty. That one's got some shit on. I'm really showing my age on the yo. Um, the flavor in your ear remix was dope. I just, I'm just, I'm yeah. Now they, now they starting to. Um, what was the what was the LL joint? Not the not the four three two one. Oh, <laughs> blow kisses. Not the four three two one. <laughs> was it was it who shot your remix? That that's all that's all well and good. The correct answer is watch for the hook. All right, so uh, yo, okay, I, we'll talk offline. I but but, so, but you know what though? Oh, you know what though? So if we talking Dungeon Family, quick sidebar. Give me any day of the week, I would take White Guts over Watch for the Hook. Ooh, that's a good one though. That is a good one. White Guts that is a good man. One. I man, Bubba Sparks fucking murdered. Bubba Sparks that. put him in the cookout. Ooh. He was he was walked into the cookout on, on White Guts, <laughs> but that's <laughs> with a plate, with a low vibration plate. Just low into the vibration cookout. plate, son. <laughs> Bubba Sparks was rapping like he threw the cookout. <laughs> yes, right, right. Nah, I now give me give me White Guts over over a Watch for but Watch for is mean though. That shit's hard as fuck. Oh, that's a hot take for you. All right. Okay. All right. Final question. This is the last question. One thing that everybody's going to get asked. What's one song from another artist you wish we would, that was yours? One song from another artist that I wish was mine. Um, uh, God, man. I, for me, it'd probably be... Um, it'd probably be unbelievable. My big. Mm, um, that's a good one. That's a good one. I'm reading. I'm reading. Shout out to Justin Tinsley. I'm reading this book right now. I went back and started re-listening to Ready to Die. You know, as I'm reading the book, just because you hear the story, so things mean different things to you now. But I, I think that's one of them where I, I was like, yeah, yeah, I wish that was me. Yeah, <laughs> I wish that was me. Um, totally. Probably. I mean, it's not hip hop, but um, just from a. a a writing uh, lyrical perspective overjoyed by Stevie Wonder that is one of the most depressing songs ever put on fucking record and people swear that it's a love song like I've seen people know they you know play it at weddings and play shit. weddings like, right there y'all like this song it's a song about unrequited love like this is not a happy song this is really right. a devastating fucking song but you know it's beautiful you know what I mean but uh yeah I think that if I had to pick one it would probably be that one if I had to put a FanDuel bet, I would have been like, Fonte's picking something from the 70s is not going to be hip-hop. I just knew it. Like, I had it. I just knew it. I just knew it. I knew that. I just had, like, I would have put, I could have wish I'd have written it down on a piece of paper. I you know knew I mean? that was what you were going to pick. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I just look at it from, you know, from a, a, from a songwriting perspective. And that's something that's always kind of informed my MCing. It's just like, it's never really looking at it as, a rapper, um, just really looking at it as writing, you know what I'm saying? And um, some of my favorite writers, like a lot of that 70s stuff, like, you know, of course, you know, Stevie and, you know, George Clinton is probably like on the low one of my favorite MC, like George Clinton's in my top five. Like it was just, you know, I mean, Motor Booty Affair, like all those concept albums, like, I mean, that shit just blew my mind. I, I studied that stuff. So, yeah, man. Thanks to the legends for inspiring the listening, which has inspired me, which has inspired so many people for 20 years, y'all. 20 years. 20 years, bro. 20 years, dog. From the smoking section right. to ES motherfucking PN, <laughs> nigga. Come on, son. Come, come on, on now. And we gotta have a conversation about this strip club turn team club down. We we gotta have oh, a conversation look, about that. Look, yeah. we can it's, but I have one that beats that. 
a strip club turned into a daycare. We got those in abundance. Let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about the Black Orchid. All right. The Black Orchid. Just that name. Let me tell you alone. about the Black. <laughs> let me tell you about the Black Orchid. When I say former strip club, I say that loosely because they did no renovations on renovations. the inside of the Black Orchid. <laughs> like you walked into the Black Orchid, the poles were still there, the stages were still there, one of the walls was a mirror. It was it was a strip, it was a club for 18 and younger, like 16 to 18. You go into Black Orchid. It is now, once again, a strip club. So clearly the teen thing did not work. Wow. But they played all the music. We never, let me tell you, when I got to Davidson, that was the first time I knew that parties ended at two. I thought parties just ended <laughs> when people started shooting. <laughs> like the lights went on at the party at Davidson. I was like, I was like, what's they shooting already at Davidson? But that did not happen. <laughs> that, that's what was, it was going down at the Black Orchid. That's where I was, you know, fell in love three or four times at the Black Orchid. Wow. Prob- thank thank goodness that I didn't catch uh, chlamydia from being around the, the poles. <laughs> just as like a drink from the water fountain, using the restroom. Just the Black Orchid, that's just what it was, man. It was, a le- it was around for probably two years in Jackson before the element got too strong and they decided to make yeah. it, turn it back into the, to the strip club. That was the Black Orchid. That was where I was at, where I abandoned my uh, underground roots and then <laughs> came back around to the listening. Man, I I love it. That that is fucking amazing. Orchid. The Black Orchid, just that name alone, like it just sounds like a place of iniquity. Just, <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just sounds scandalous. I love it. I love it. Hey, man, it it was the nineties. Shout out, shout out to Jackson, Mississippi. You know, <laughs> okay, you up. know, well, fellas, brothers, you know, I love you guys. Love ever back, indebted bro, to real. your brilliance and your greatness and all of that. Thank you. Thank, thank you all you, for man. coming on on Rap Stories. And thank you for the listening. And, uh, you know, everybody, 20th anniversary documentary coming very soon. We're very excited for that. Salute to you guys. Yes, indeed. Yes, man. This podcast is produced by Podville Media for Anscape, a Black-led media platform dedicated to creating highlighting and uplifting diverse black stories Anscape, where blackness is infinite Dina Morrison is the series producer our production team Brittany Danielle, Rob Spiewak Lenika Belfield-Martin, Ethan Sands and Eli Nellis the series was edited by Stephen Williams Kelsey Johnson and Rob Ford executive producers Steve Reese, Elizabeth Elson Oscar Zabios. Raina Kelly is Anscape's Vice President and Editor-in-Chief. David Oku created the original artwork for the series. Special thanks to Tracy Smith, Mike Shahade, Rami Mogadam, Katie Lawson, Beth Stoikov, Anna Grambling, Ashley Melfi, John Gotti, Kelly Evans, Ryan Broadhead, and Kevin Wilson. And I'm your host, David Dennis Jr., Thank you for listening.